Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 139 today. We actually did 139 the other day on Maurice's spiritual awakening. However, that file got corrupted somehow in the process of doing the live stream. So we're probably going to do that this weekend or early next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But uh, so today we are going to do um, Secret of the Norse. We have Arthur Copeman's back and uh, we're going to be doing comets and catastrophe he has another slideshow uh ready to go but we're going to talk a little bit before we do that and uh you can check out his links i have it down below the video he has a blog and a website and uh welcome back on the show arthur it's good to be here thanks uh, for joining us it's a perfect time to get this comet information out there because we're going through one right now yeah exactly uh i uh i saw a comet uh myself uh Last weekend, Comet Neowise. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure you heard of that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I told Maurice, because Maurice does photography and some astrophotography, I told him you should get mm-hmm. out there and try and uh, get a picture of it. Don't, so the best way to see that comet, though, isn't that during, like, um, uh, dusk? Uh, or yeah. dawn or so- somewhere? like at the... I think it's around 10, but I could be oh, okay. mistaken. 10 well, PM. yeah, yeah, yeah. At least it's uh, it's at uh, dusk. Uh, so uh, when things are getting uh, a bit darker, then uh, then you can see this uh, this faint comet uh, on the northern sky. Mm. Nice. So, yeah, there's yeah. too much light pollution here in Chicago. I can barely even see the main stars here. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's the from your you did uh, you took a picture um, and you posted it on Twitter, and uh, that was actually a pretty good pic. Did you use a camera or did you use your phone? Well, <laughs> that's funny uh, because I uh, I took I uh, had two pictures as an illustration uh, and I, uh, I I basically took those uh, from the internet. So one was uh, from Sky and Telescope with information on oh, when to okay. see it, and the other one, one was just to uh, to illustrate uh, what it looks like. Although I tried to get a picture of it, um, but uh, yeah, I don't really have a good uh, camera, so uh, I tried it with my phone, but uh, but I couldn't see the comment on it. So. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to share my experience anyway, uh, because sure. uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that I believe it's the first time I saw one in my life. So uh, yeah, that's um, it's interesting. You think that it would be easy to take a picture of like the moon or you know some of the stars mm-hmm. or whatever, and you hold your phone up and you realize there's no way of actually getting it unless you have a decent uh, DSLR with like a nice lens and stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, it was a cool pick regardless. Um, so this is part two. Part one, we just focused on the mythology um, and, and, you know, the uh, correlations and connections. And since we've had you on, we've also had David Matheson on, who mm-hmm. went through all of his body uh, of work with um, uh, the constellations and stuff. And I don't – did you see this article that came out within the last two days, too, how uh, NASA 
acknowledged Ophiuchus, which it normally doesn't, and normally people think of the constellations as just 12 constellations Mm -hmm. of the Zodiac, but now that there's 13 and people are freaking out, so they redid all the dates for the, uh, um, you know, the different uh, constellations. Okay, well, I haven't seen that article recently, but I I do remember that I've heard uh, the exact same thing uh, earlier, that... that, um, this constellation of Eucus was now uh, recognized as the 13th uh, zodiac constellation. So, um, well, I'm uh, Sagittarius myself. Uh, I don't really uh, check horoscopes. That's not really my thing. But, um, well, uh, I, that means that I will be uh, uh, of uh now, uh, the Uh-oh. snake holder. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not a big astrology guy, however, I do um I do wonder if, you know, the ancient times, you know, through mysticism and different um ancient secret type, you know, knowledge and stuff, if there is something to the way that the stars and the planets and the way we uh revolve around anything and resonate and the vibration, if it does have some sort of effect mm-hmm. on your personality and consciousness and if maybe there is some way of um, affecting your consciousness in that regard. Not necessarily like, oh, if you're Virgo, you're this, or if you're Sagittarius, yeah. you're this, but just in the sense that maybe it has some sort of archetypal influence on you where cer- yeah. certain things do come out. So I do wonder that. I'm not saying, I again, that I necessarily believe yeah, in astrology. Yeah, you, you, you could argue that there is this psychological aspect to it, uh, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, science... Uh, Scientists are telling us that the influences of uh, very distant uh, celestial bodies are uh, minimal. Um, but I do think that there may be some things still that uh, need to be uh, researched that, that could actually have more influence on uh, life on Earth than we think. And, well, uh, the, the phenomena of comets and how they can affect uh, our life uh, may be uh, one of these underestimated things. <laughs> Absolutely. Um so, yeah, I just wanted to, but the, the NASA thing was interesting. They say, supposedly they say this article comes out every few years and people forget about it. Um, but yeah, they posted a picture of the constellations and it had Ophiuchus in there. And to be honest with you, um, I, I've heard, before we did the first episode with you, I'd heard of Ophiuchus, I'd seen the mm-hmm. constellation, but it's not like a, it's not like one of the top regular, you know, it's not one of the ones where people think about or can point to usually. It's a, a little bit more of an obscure yeah. one. So do you have a, a reasoning why you think that is, or do you think that since different, you know, ancient mythologies incorporate it, that it's just something that um, maybe gets lost uh, in translation for different uh, cultures? Yeah, well, uh, Ophiuchus, uh, for most part of my life, I I really uh, didn't know uh, that it existed either. So the first thing you are familiar with is, is Orion and Sirius and all that. Um, but to the ancients, it seems that Ophiuchus was a pretty important uh, constellation, and a lot of uh, mythological figures are linked to it. And yeah, th- th- there could be various uh, reasons why this could be. Uh, one of them is um, that it was uh, at uh, the equinox um, a couple of thousand years ago, in, uh, in an age uh, when uh, a lot of deep myths uh, were created. Um, so I think that could have uh, contributed to uh, the importance of uh, of Ophiuchus in this uh, ancient system. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the uh, 
the beef of this conversation, which is uh, comets and catastrophe mm-hmm. and looking at the ancient world and looking at the mythology and trying to correlate those two things. So um, where do you want to start with this? Do you have a particular subtopic within this or, or do you want to just start riffing on it or did you have part of your presentation incorporated in this? Um, well, I can just start with uh, giving uh, an introduction and then uh, you guys can uh, ask questions. Uh, sure. sure. If you want. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, for the last time uh, that uh, we've uh, talked, uh, um, I've shown you how uh, the Norse myths can be linked to the, the stars and constellations. And uh, David Madison, uh, as uh, in the previous episode, given a very uh, convincing proof uh, that um, the world's myths are based on this uh, ancient uh, system of astronomy. And so um, well, I, I discovered some things for myself by uh, getting familiar with uh, David Madison's research, uh, learning the vocabulary of, uh, of these myths. And I've shown you how um, Odin's uh, discovery of the runes uh, too can be seen in the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's another uh, very important way of viewing the myths, and that is um, that they possibly contain uh, memories of uh, catastrophic events that uh, have happened in the human timeline. Mm-hmm. That uh, these myths contain uh, accounts of uh, of cosmic impacts. And I think that uh, these memories of these these ancient impacts uh, too um, could have been uh, passed down in the form of star myths. So I think these way, two ways of viewing uh, can also uh, fit together in in the same system. So, do you think that um, when you've had the research that you've done, have you found any correlation, like cross correlations between different civilizations and a specific? time period or comet obviously we have you know randall carlson graham hancock and all those uh you know george howard all these people um Mm -hmm. promoting the younger dryas impact uh hypothesis and there's obviously a lot of evidence to support that so do you obviously that's one of them but is is there any other point that you found throughout the ancient history where it seemed like something happened across these cultures or even with yeah definitely the, the the viking mythology yeah, so um, the the Younger Dryas impact event, that was the, the really, really big one. Um, and so um, a lot of authors like Graham Hancock, uh, they think that, that all these myths, uh, which contain uh, stories of catastrophe, um, that those are all uh, linked uh, perhaps to this Younger Dryas impact event. But, um, well, as, as we will uh, see, um, there were many more uh, of these episodes, and uh, I have also seen signs uh, how they are uh, can be linked uh, to a different uh, myths. So um, yeah, we find these these tales of catastrophe. We find them all over the world. Uh, we have the, the apocalypse in the Bible, and also uh, Noah's flood. And there's been hypothesized, for example, that um, Noah's flood is perhaps linked to an impact um, off the coast of Madagascar, the Burkle impact crater. Right. Um, so that would have uh, created quite some uh, destruction in the, the region of the Indian Ocean. Um, yeah, and you also have the epic of Gilgamesh. I mean, there is yeah, there's yeah. flood myths all over the world, and you can check that kind of stuff out. There's um, Hamlet's Mill is a good thing, a good resource for that. All the those kinds of tales too, and I think Graham Hancock references it a decent amount as well through his work. Um. In terms of these catastrophes, what is the mythology saying? Is it 
you know, because there's some coded things like, for instance, uh, not to keep bringing them up, but Graham Hancock talks about, you know, the serpent in the sky and, you know, you have John mm-hmm. Anthony West and this idea that these comets had kind of like a, look like a snake with a tail or something along those lines. Um, do you think that is that something that's found within the Viking mythology or is that something that you think is misinterpreted or is that, you know, where do you go with that? Um, well, there are definitely uh, uh, there's a, a lot of uh, episodes of uh, uh, descriptions of catastrophe and uh, natural disasters in, in more than one Norse myth. Uh, so and and I also think uh, that these uh, can be linked to comets. So um, it's it's kind of hard to discern um, what what act- actually refers to uh, a, a comet because you have these gods, uh, you have these terrible monsters. Um, so uh, what, uh, some of these gods uh, could be linked to the sun, for example, um, and some of the yeah uh, giant snakes. Uh, mm-hmm. Those could be linked to to comets, but. Uh, when I started researching it further, uh, it seems like uh, even the gods themselves uh, could perhaps be uh, linked to comet symbolism, mm. and sometimes uh, even uh, very subtle uh, symbolism. Uh, so it may be more widespread uh, than you would uh, at first uh, think. Um, so, do you think that? So, is have you ever found a case where maybe a specific god was linked to a specific celestial event or comet? Have you found that? Um. Yeah, well, there are. Um, you have the story of Force Fishing Trip, for example, um, that does describe um, uh, how he, how he uh, fishes uh, for the, the Midgard serpent. It's this world encircling uh, serpent, Jormungandr. Mm. And when, when he fishes for it, he uses an ox's uh, head, a bull's head, as bait for, the, for this giant monster. Mm. Uh, so you have the bull and you have the, the serpent. So there could be some zodiac symbolism in there. So um, these two constellations uh, were at the equinox in the age of Taurus. Um, and plus, uh, you've also have the, the Taurid meteor stream. That's where the, all the the major uh, cosmic bombardments come from. So perhaps uh, this this bull uh, also refers to the the radius uh, where uh, where these cosmic impacts uh, came from. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one uh, example, but but um, I, I, yeah, I've prepared uh, several other examples, which I'll also show you in the slideshow. Okay. So we will definitely get to this. Um, and there's so you have the people, and we talked a little bit about this with David Matheson, but you have people that take some of these things literally. You have other mm-hmm. people doing kind of the research that you're doing, where it's a little bit more esoteric and, and fringe in the context of what is mainstream is or popular culture, but. When you look at these things, how do you how do you know that you're right? So in in context, so like you have people that would say, if you look at some of these myths or mythology, like the Kraken. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're finding massive giant squid that are like a hundred feet long at the very bottom of the ocean that, yeah. that that didn't know even existed before. So they're saying that that could right. be the real Kraken. So like, mm-hmm. where, where where does this line? Uh, get drawn in terms of what yeah. what could be real and why is it just an analogy or some sort of um, yeah. uh, you know correlation? Yeah, so I I think the the myths they they work on multiple uh, different levels. So maybe there was an actual kraken. Maybe science uh, proved that that there was this beast, uh, but maybe uh, this kraken was also used as a symbol for something else. Mm. Um, so um, when you have a a 
a flaming a sword, for example, uh, that that splits the sky in two. Well, we know that swords existed. Mm-hmm. There were actual swords, uh, but um, this this the sword uh, can also be used as a symbol perhaps for for a, a comet. Mm-hmm. So uh, when people would have witnessed um, the, these terrifying events, uh, these world uh, destroying uh, events uh, on whatever scale, uh, they would have uh, had to describe these things in in terms that they were familiar with. They had to use symbols. Um, that that were a part of their uh, their everyday world. Mm-hmm. So they they used uh, what was at hand, so uh, a cosmic mill, for example, a, a grindstone. Uh, uh, that's something that they used in their daily lives. And if that visually resembles something they see in the sky, uh, for example, then the, that they would use uh, such a symbol. So where do you go with all this, the mythology and the correlations and stuff? Do you believe that? Um like David Matheson, that there's some ancient knowledge or wisdom to be gained other than knowing about these celestial events? Or do you simply think that these are just correlations to natural phenomenon and that was their way of explaining it or telling a tale? Well, um, the more I, I see um, uh, yeah, how large a role these, these uh, cosmic catastrophes have played in human history, I think that that, that, uh, that is a large part of what the myths are about. Um, but I think um, the people uh, who compo- uh, compose these poems, um, they also put also uh, other uh, esoteric knowledge in it uh, of various kinds. So advanced astronomical knowledge, processional numbers, uh, and also uh, perhaps some infeogenic uh, elements to mm-hmm. it. Uh, so shamanic elements um, and uh, all sorts of uh, wisdom uh, that, that, that these... Uh, uh, astronomer priests uh, had and I think that's one of the reasons that these stories uh, are so popular and still uh, with us today is because people see value in them so mm-hmm. um, the, these events uh, they, uh, they, they they saw these things and they, they uh, personalized it I think uh, and gave uh, meaning uh, to it so that uh, their, their world uh, makes uh, some sense and is filled with, uh, with meaning yeah, I brought that up to him too, the fact that I think that with strong evidence of entheogenic use within that culture and a lot of ancient civilizations, that that might have just enhanced the ability to tell the story and to picture or visualize. Because mm-hmm. with anybody that's ever done, you know, psychedelics or high dose psychedelics, you <clears throat> you have this free thinking uh, way or unabridged version of what your mind can do kind of a thing. So um, while you might just look up at the stars and imagine this this myth playing out, by taking an entheogen, you're able to walk around and you, you're in it. You know, there's no way of getting out of it once you do it. So uh, in a way, I think that that could have actually enhanced some of these stories or myths, in my opinion, but based yeah. on what I've seen. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I even googled uh, to to see if um, whether in your, if you're in an altered state, um, if you can somehow uh, see uh, uh, the constellations, see the stars in a different way. What happens uh, when you're uh, on the influence of some substance and you look at the stars? Um, mm-hmm. And someone claimed that he could see these lines started appearing automatically. Um, so that's what kind of what I was looking for. But apart from that, I couldn't really find something like it. So that's a bit anecdotal, but yeah. perhaps uh, that there is some uh, element to it. 
I can I can vouch for the fact that I've on a high dose of psilocybin that a long time ago when I was camping, uh, me and one of my you know uh, friends were looking up at the sky, and there was a, a there was the, one of those lightning storms. There wasn't rain. It wasn't thunder. It was just lightning. And you did look like you were looking at like some sort of light show from God, or you could say the gods mm. or whatever. So oh, yeah. I definitely, based on that experience, you were, you know, I just felt like I was in awe of the fact that this is actually happening. And this is, you know, even if it's just nature, it's this beautiful, amazing thing. So I could definitely see how somebody would correlate that to some sort of higher power for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for mm. sure. So um, you guys are quite familiar by now with the Younger Dryas Impact event, uh, I think, and I think many many of the listeners are as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, maybe we could recap re- really briefly what that was uh, about, um, because I think uh, that uh, the uh, Norse Ragnarok myth uh, may be uh, linked to that and may have uh, may contain some uh, traces of that. So it was basically. Yeah, I was just, I mean, do you want me to, so like, uh, for anybody that doesn't know what the Younger Dryas Impact event is, so um, there's evidence to suggest that there was a common impact uh, at the last, at the end of the last ice age that caused um, the meltdown and the flooding and the, you know, the flood myths that you see. Um, and, you know, the dating goes back to, you know, 13 to 11,000 years ago and you have you know people correlating that to Gobekli Tepe which is roughly mm-hmm. 11,600 years old uh, you have now there's two crater impacts I believe they found uh, in Iceland um, uh, Greenland 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 I'm sorry yeah. you're right and they haven't uh, been able to date them I think because they're too deep or something like that yeah um, preliminary dating shows that uh, they are linked to the Younger Dryas event, um, but it's not conclusive yet. Right. Um, yeah. So, so they've done that, and then there's also people that connect. You know, we've done episodes on like the Carolina Bays and Saginaw, yeah. possibly in Michigan, being connected to all that, and like the fallout from this comet was it's Comet Enki, I believe, from the Torrid meteor. Yeah, stream. I think fragments from Comet Enki. Uh, Enki itself is, I think, still out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. So th- these would have been fragments, and also there was, you know, there's discussion whether this thing blew up as it was entering the mm-hmm. atmosphere and then showered yeah. over everything, or if, um, you know, maybe there's multiple, you know, impacts from different celestial yeah. bodies and, and they found microspherials and micro diamonds and stuff all over the planet, you know, and if you're looking for a good resource on that stuff, obviously you have uh, Randall Carlson who has a podcast on Cosmographia. He does with the uh, Snake Brothers, shout out to them. And um, so, yeah, I think that this whole thing does, uh, it, it has a lot of weight and it has a lot of evidence and even some of the academics are coming around. I think it was at Mark Defont even, started to entertain the idea which he did not before so yeah yeah so basically uh, it was uh, you could say a world ending uh, event uh, so um, entire human cultures uh, died out uh, the close people in North America and Europe it was the feather messer uh, culture um, these giant wildfires uh, burning 10% of the biomass uh, the, the world basically uh, ended in, in fire and ice. and um, Yeah, the megafauna thing, too, that's what Rand- yeah. Randall would point to, is the woolly mammoths look like they've been ripped off 
their feet, yeah. you know, through the uh, the frozen ones and different things like that. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, there is a lot of physical and geological uh, um, evidence. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, it could be that that this uh, Ragnarok myth, which uh, describes the end of the world, uh, uh, goes all the way back to this period. Um, but uh, there were uh, more episodes of uh, cosmic bombardment uh, since, so they may not have been as severe, mm -hmm. but they would still have been very uh, disruptive, uh, changing the global climate, uh, and it could have spelled the end for uh, entire uh, cultures. Um, so the Bronze Age collapse, that's what was one of these periods. Mm -hmm. um, and also the Dark Ages, uh, the start of the medieval period, was also uh, uh, a pretty uh, catastrophic period, actually. I've never looked so, into it, but do you, have you ever looked into the pre-civilization history of that, that area of Scandinavia and, like, you know, the Viking territories of mm -hmm. uh, Sweden, Denmark, and, uh, you know... Um, Norway and all those because uh, yeah. obviously with Gobekli Tepe there is we know that there was a civilization there roughly around that time so mm -hmm. is there anything that that you found that correlates to that yeah. maybe in that area well uh, I haven't uh, seen uh, uh, correlations I think yet with Gobekli Tepe that's something I would have to research further but there was some uh, human activity in Scandinavia at, uh, at a quite early point mm. Um, but it would have been more locked in ice uh, still, uh, more so than, than uh, uh, the region of uh, Anatolia. Right. Yeah, so that there was less human north. activity, uh, yeah, hunter-gatherers, um, uh, maybe some very early small uh, settlements by the, by the water. Um, so, yeah, at, uh, the Viking Age, it started uh, somewhere uh, around uh, 800 uh, AD. Okay. So, uh, well before that, there were already uh, people there. Yeah, obviously, um, so, yeah. Neolithic activity in a lot of parts of the mm -hmm. world. It's just that's why I was curious, yeah. is because that far north, you would have still been somewhat, I think, under ice or at least close to um, what would be considered kind of an, an unlivable hab habitat. Yeah. However, we're human beings and we find ways to live in super unlivable, yeah. you know. Um, environment, so that's why I was curious about yeah. that. Yeah, and we have even survived the Younger Dry, so uh, uh, Lake we are pretty... Uh, Lake Toba event, I mean, there's you can go through, and oh, there's, yeah. there's a lot of them. It was actually uh, this rogue uh, star that uh, passed by uh, our solar system that uh, possibly caused this uh, super volcano event. Yeah. It's it's called Schultz's Star. Okay. I'll have to look into that, because so, we just did you that. You have to look that up, yeah. Yeah, because we just so, did that uh, super volcano episode. So. Yeah. We're going to talk about volcanoes too. Uh, there's some of that in the slideshow. So All well. right. Yeah, that's exciting. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's the premise, I think, around the Younger Dryas. Uh, mm -hmm. We've talked about it in the past. And like I said, I mean, you can look at stuff up. The best, I think, episode on it is the Joe Rogan with Graham Hancock and Randall yeah. Carlson and Michael Shermer. Uh, well, that one's kind of controversial. There's other ones where it's just Randall and Graham showing slides and talking about it and stuff. So, but yeah, I think those are episodes around like 600, 700 mm -hmm. Joe Rogan. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, is there, so is there anything else you want to get to before we get into the slideshow? Um, yeah. So, uh, um, a, a short introduction uh, to Ragnarok, and then uh, we can start the slideshow. Okay. Um, so uh, Ragnarok is uh, uh, is this prophecy of the end of the world. Uh, some think um, 
it, it, it can't be a description of a past event because it tells about things that will happen in the future. Um, that's not really how I uh, see it. Um, because uh, why would people uh, make this whole story up um, when we know that there were these catastrophic events in our history? Mm -hmm. um, so to me, it makes more sense uh, that they have witnessed such an event and um, that's what uh, inspired the steel of Ragnarok. Uh, it was then uh, created into this uh, prophecy for uh, uh, something that will happen again. Mm. Um, and is it similar to like, you know, is it is it a Greek word, I believe, apocalypse, which means just li lifting the veil or the unveiling, where some people associate that with total destruction, but in reality it actually means maybe something a little bit more esoteric and different. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I don't know uh, exactly what the word uh, apocalypse means, but uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, more it's also always more complicated yeah, uh, than, uh, than the, yeah. So, um, yeah, let's uh, go. There's, to a lot, the there's a lot of characters named that in, a, in American society. So I don't know. There's a lot of. Let's see here. The complete destruction of the world is the definition mm. as described in biblical books. Right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. But what's the origin of the word is what I was asking. Um, that's a, that. I... The destruction one says it's from the book of Revelations. Yeah. Let me see in the metactics. I think Randall Gossam would know. Yeah. yeah, we need him on. <laughs> I think that would be great. We are working on that actually. I don't know when or how soon, but at some point. Um, but what in terms of, yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's a Greek word meaning the unveiling or unfolding. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, so that's that's what I meant by it. It doesn't necessarily mean. I mean, it's associated because of the Bible. It's associated right. with death and destruction. Mm -hmm. It really just yeah. means the unveiling, which I guess you could take, you know, into it's a bit more subtle. Uh, yeah, and I I yeah. think of it as like this. Like hypothetically, let's say we're in a simulation. The unveiling could be you find out that you're in the the simulation, thus ending this world mm -hmm. or this this mm -hmm. reality. So I think about things like that in terms of you know, what's the interpretation of that back then for them, it might've been like God coming down and ending things yeah. or something like that. Well, if a giant bright comet is coming down from the sky, it was kind of be like, uh, God is back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's the big, uh, reveal, uh, throw some, uh, <laughs> some objects surprise. On you. yeah. You're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Time for, to create a uh, new world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, um, so yeah, do you want me to yeah. pull up the slideshow now, or? Yes, let's All do right. it. All right, here we go, and this was, um, all right, we are ready to roll. Yeah. So this is the, the title uh, page, Comments and Catastrophe in Norse Myth, so I think we can go uh, right yep. to uh, slide number two. Okay, so the Ragnarok uh, story uh, is found in the, the Valdespa. It is a poem on the poetic Edda, uh, which is the main source for the Norse myths. And Ragnarok uh, means uh, the fate of the ruling powers, uh, which includes the gods and the giants, uh, or the doom of the gods. And uh, in a, a play on words, it's also called uh, Ragnarokr, uh, which means uh, the twilight of the gods. 
Mm. Um, so it's um, described as the cyclical destruction of the cosmos and of uh, the gods uh, in it. Uh, although there is some dispute over whether it was intended as a cyclical event. Because some older sources uh, don't mention the renewal of the world. But uh, that is how it is presented in the Voluspa. So the poem starts with Odin. And he is uh, raising this dead Cirrus from the grave. And uh, he wants to know everything that there is to know to prevent Ragnarok uh, from happening. So he he, he uh, disturbs her rest and he, he wants to question her. Uh, and she starts uh, giving him all these details about uh, what will happen at the end of the world. Mm. So um, some of the uh, events that will happen is uh, the sun will be uh, devoured. Uh, by wolves, uh, snow will fall in the summers. The world tree Yggdrasil is shaking. Uh, mankind will be abandoned by its gods. And the world is destroyed in fire and ice. And finally, the, the earth will sink beneath the waves. So that's uh, pretty uh, world-ending stuff. Yeah. So um, the first omen uh, that Ragnarok is at hand is that uh, uh, the world uh, becomes a place of complete darkness. Which you'll see in the next slide. Okay. So the there are these uh, these wolves, um, and they are uh, together with other monsters, offspring, uh, the children of Loki and this this giantess uh, witch called Angerboda, and uh, Fenrir is is one of these the, uh, this this wolf, and it it starts becoming a threat to the gods because it's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, because it's getting fed all the time and mm -hmm. um, well, the gods uh, started getting anxious so they they trick it and bind it with a magical thread but at Ragnarok uh, all these uh, ropes will break and the wolf will uh, run free um, and uh, they will uh, eventually f uh, devour the sun and the moon and Fenrir's jaws are so big that it will uh, devour the entire sky mm. so in the poem uh, the seeress says to Odin there feeds Sifu on the flesh of the dead, and the home of the gods he reddens with gore. Dark grows the sun, and in summer soon come mighty storms. Would you like to know more? So, uh, yes, I would. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's go to the next slide. Okay, winter is coming, it says. <laughs> yeah, this, this yes. time, Game, <laughs> of, Thrones, Game of Thrones. Exactly. So, yeah, whenever there is three years uh, without a summer, then. Uh, you better prepare for Ragnarok. You know that uh, the end of the world is coming. And, um, well, George R. R. Martin with Game of Thrones, uh, yeah. there was basically also uh, a story of his books, Winter Winter is Coming, right. and this battle between uh, fire and ice. So you can imagine um, that when uh, climate gets uh, so cold, uh, all the crops will start failing, uh, people will start growing hungry, and they will fight for resources, so there will be this, this struggle for survival. Um, so when we look at um, real events in history, um, we can ask ourselves what can cause such a, a terrible winter. Uh, so we, we know that there is such a thing as a nuclear winter. Mm -hmm. uh, if you uh, drop enough nuclear bombs, that could cause uh, a prolonged winter because all this, this dust uh, is blocking the light of the sun. Right. And well, in the myth, it's described as wolves uh, devouring uh, the sky. Um, 
But there are other things that uh, could cause such a thing, such as a uh, comet impact. Um, and then the younger Dryas, uh, basically, uh, the, uh, there was so much dust in the atmosphere that uh, the world, uh, it was just retreating from the ice age, but then, uh, boom, you have another ice age for uh, 1,000 years. Mm. Um, but there are also uh, volcanoes, of course. Um, so um, you've shown in your uh, supervolcano video how mm. a uh, eruption of a supervolcano can cause this volcanic winter. Yeah, actually can cause a, a discrepancy in temperature or a change in temperature mm -hmm. up to like 20, 26 degrees Celsius is yeah. about the highest that they've recorded. I mean, that's a lot. You know, we're all worried yeah, uh... about two degrees, you know, which is actually mm -hmm. a big deal. But then you yeah. look at the p potential of a 26 or 25. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, if, the, if uh, it goes down uh, enough, then this can disturb the entire equilibrium of the planet. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that would yeah. make sense if three years of uh, without summer, some yeah. some sort of super volcano or large eruption happening somewhere else in the world could definitely have an effect causing the, the weather patterns to change. And uh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, so... Um... Well, and the Younger Dryas event also had these massive wildfires, so um, that too was caused all this uh, dust um, and eventually uh, this big freeze. And there was another period in history in which uh, such a thing happened, and that is uh, the Dark Ages. So the Dark Ages too uh, were uh, an episode in history of a global uh, cooldown and also uh, excessive volcanism. Uh, it was the, the time uh, of the collapse of the Western Roman Empire, and a lot of these tribes from Northern Europe started migrating to the south, and they uh, started creating all these new kingdoms. Um, so uh, some uh, speculate that perhaps it was the Dark Ages that was the inspiration for uh, this Fimble winter, this, this terrible winter that precedes Ragnarok. Uh -huh. um, and we know that uh, um, in the years 536 and 540 AD, there were two uh, major massive um, volcanic eruptions uh, of the volcano at Lake Ilopango in El Salvador. Yeah, that's going to be part also... two of our super volcano one, actually. That's, that's, All right. Uh, so that, that, I, I think you're on to something here for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 522 uh, was uh, probably uh, another uh, eruption. So that's three and all. Um, so in, in Constantinople, uh, that was in the Eastern Roman Empire, um, there was, uh, the sun was obscured. It had this bluish tint and, uh, there was this large dust cloud visible in the air. Um, and the temperatures and the whole Mediterranean, uh, cooled. So you can imagine, uh, up further north, uh, what, uh, the climate must have been like uh, then. Uh, but it's already uh, colder, and when it gets colder, um, crops fail, people go hungry, their immune systems go down, and then you have the, this bubonic plague uh, breaking out, which is called uh, the Justinian plague after the Eastern Roman Emperor, Emperor Justinian. So um, it was a pretty uh, catastrophic uh, period, and. What's interesting, uh, not only are there signs of uh, volcanism, but um, there's also evidence of uh, the sighting of a comet in ancient Latin and Greek texts. Uh, they speak of a bright comet that was visible in the sky uh, for more than 40 days. 
And also in the Greenland ice cores, they found some spherules. So there's some debate uh, whether that is volcanic or uh, indicative of a comet uh, impact episode. Um, but there are signs that there were also uh, cosmic uh, impacts uh, involved in uh, which contributed to this global uh, cooldown. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that obviously people at this point had a good knowledge. I mean, we've talked about in our ancient Greek series that a lot of these mm-hmm. pre-Socratics were able to predict um, the lunar cycles and like celestial events like a uh, eclipse and things like that. So if that was happening, you know, 500 BC, I see no reason why they wouldn't um, be able to document these things and have good knowledge of them, you know, a thousand years later. Yeah, yeah. So the Chinese too, uh, they, they documented the same comets. Mm. So uh, they they were often a little bit more precise in their uh, in their data than the uh, Greeks, but uh, yeah, yeah. So in the next slide, um, yeah. So what I'm uh, wondering also uh, is there a link between uh, comets and volcanism as well? Um, because uh, every time you look at these catastrophic events, you see uh, signs of volcanism, but also signs of uh, cosmic impacts. So um, off the coast of Australia, uh, the Carpentaria Gulf, um, there are two craters, uh, which look like they can be impact craters, and they are dated to 1,500 uh, years ago, mm-hmm. which is the time of the Dark Ages. Um, so, um, uh, But possibly even uh, when a comet is large enough and close enough to the Earth, perhaps it can have some uh, gravitational effects, which could perhaps also... Uh, cause comets to erupt in multiple places. Plus the direct site of an impact could also um, create earthquakes and even break open the crust and uh, cause uh, this volcanic activity. Yeah, so that's something we discussed with uh, Chris Cottrell on the, uh, mm. the the Tidal Forces episode and something we talked about on the, the Super Volcano episode is that there's no, they don't know the mechanism behind what causes the hot spots in our core um, yeah. some people theorize that it could be like one of these, uh, impacts, you know, like mm-hmm. breaking through and getting that deep somehow. Um, others have, you know, postulated that, you know, there's just some sort of mechanism that's unknown that we just don't know the process that yeah. happens in there. So, but yeah, I definitely yeah, think it's, it's a strange a, thought for sure. It's something to, to yeah. at least look into and entertain. And I don't, I think that, uh, I don't know if we'll get any answers in our lifetime, but hopefully they mm-hmm. start looking into more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really hope so too. Uh, because yeah, the two do, do seem to go together. Also, in the younger dryas, you have uh, this uh, massive volcanism as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, plus, when you look at uh, the Dark Ages, uh, Martin Swepman, uh, the author of Prehistory Decoded, he also noted in his book um, that uh, during the Dark Ages, the uh, Earth too uh, crossed the denser part of the torrid meteor stream. So uh, you would expect uh, increased. Uh, comet and meteorite activity somewhere around the year uh, between the year zero and uh, the dark ages mm-hmm. so um yeah could this have caused uh, this fimble uh, winter uh, that could be uh, or perhaps uh, the fimble winter describes the younger drives uh, that uh, those are uh, interesting questions i think mm-hmm. and i think uh, the ragnarok myth could also uh, be uh, multiple uh, catastrophes combined in one which makes it sort of outside uh, time, mm. something uh, cyclical that recurs again, sort of a meta catastrophe. 
so that's also an interesting thought. And the land in which these Norse myths were composed, Iceland, is also a land of fire and ice. So that could also have contributed somewhat to the imagery of Ragnarok. Yeah, we've had Martin on. We did a two-part thing yeah. with him. He's a he's a smart guy, and he uh, yeah. that book's pretty good. Um, so check that out if you haven't. Uh, I don't know what episodes we did with them, but you can look back. It's been a while. It's probably been like 70 mm-hmm. episodes or so. The uh, I wanted to point something out. You mentioned on one of the earlier slides of um, the earth falling into the seas or the seas rising. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. to me, that that's that spells out some sort of flood or, um, yeah. like you're saying, some cyclical thing. So if it's a common impact mm-hmm. at the end of, you know, the Ice Age and during the Younger Dry yeah. Ice period, maybe that that's what they're describing or something along those lines. Yeah. So I think th- these things uh, have happened uh, multiple times, I think. Uh, but it could be that this one really big event uh, triggered uh, the creation of this myth. And then when more catastrophes happened, uh, perhaps details get added to that story. Hmm. But that's uh, also certainly uh, possible. So on the next slide, uh, here you see... Uh, I've created a timeline uh, which which gives a, a, an oversight uh, of, of just uh, all these different events that have happened since the Younger Dryas um, up until uh, the Dark Ages. So um, you have the Younger Dryas, uh, 10,800 PC, and you have the Dark Ages on the right, and then you also have the Bronze Age collapse uh, around 1100 uh, BC. Mm-hmm. And in between, you also have all the so-called kilo year events. And kilo year basically means uh, 1,000 years. So 4.2 kilo year event means 4,200 years ago. Um, So those two, I think, uh, have left their marks in the mythology. Mm -hmm. And most of these would have been caused by impacts from the torrid meteor stream from the fragments of the same uh, giant comet. Which Martin Serpent has stopped Comet Satan. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, yeah, that's a nice little timeline you got there. Um, in terms of, so is there any, I guess, um, do they have names for this possibly? Like, have you found anything that could be correlated, like, as a name? to this thing that causes the destruction? Is there? Is it actual? Because I'm not really familiar with the Ragnarok. I mean, I know about it. I know mm-hmm. what it means and everything. But in the actual myth or the tale, does it talk about mm-hmm. a specific name for whatever's causing this destruction? And has there is there any correlation between that and anything else? Um, well, I think that the myth speaks in, uh, in symbols, and we will see... Uh some examples of those symbols. So you have these gods fighting these monsters in this cosmic battle between order and chaos. Uh, so I think it's, it's this, this giant battle uh, that causes all this destruction. Mm. So uh, gods and monsters alike uh, in their fights uh, uh, destroy the world. It's, it's, it's almost like two galaxies colliding. One is matter, one is antimatter. And when they uh, touch, they, they, you have this giant explosion and they cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, well, metaphorically speaking, uh, that is, I think, uh, what is described in the Ragnarok myth. So, um, the Ragnarok myth, uh, to get back to the poem, uh, describes also the coming of an age of violence. Mm. So, uh, the seeress says to Odin, brothers shall fight and fell each other, 
Cousins shall violate kinship. Hard it is on earth with mighty whoredom. Axe age, short age, shields are sundered. Wind age, wolf age. Ere the world falls, no man will spare another. So what the poem describes is that uh, people will grow violent, uh, possibly, uh, probably uh, because the climate is worsening. Mm-hmm. Um, that affects people's uh, morality. So this is moral decay. And you see the same in the Kali Yuga uh, of Indian, uh, of the Vedic tradition. Um, it's it's a hard time uh, to live in. Uh, the gods uh, have uh, abandoned men. There is no spirituality. There is meanness and uh, uh, trust is broken. And you have the same uh, thing described in the Greek uh, Iron Age. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that idea? This idea that there's cycles. There's a golden age. There's, you know, there's all mm-hmm. these different bronze. You know, there's a, um, or uh, Iron Age. Do you think that yeah. there's something to that or do you think it's specifically tied to these cataclysms and and what i mean yeah. by that is obviously you can go a lot if there's a long period of time without cataclysm mm-hmm. your yeah. civilization has a better chance of advancing yeah. way past where it was before so do you think that that's what they're talking about or do you think that there's some oh, li- yeah. literal connection to some sort of metaphysical thing that happens because i i think that people use the that in both of those contexts where one just yeah. means you know the 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 physical civilization advanced, mm-hmm. but then there's other yeah. people that are in. The there's school. also this, yeah, spiritual element yeah. to it. Uh, so in the golden age, people are more spiritually aware. They are less concerned with material things because right. life is good. So they have the luxury to uh, just enjoy things uh, and the beauty of it. Uh, and um, I think the these cycles you find them on every level of existence. So you have these cycles of catastrophe, which are linked to the orbit. Uh, of meteor streams and uh, the, the the planets and the sun, uh, possibly on a greater scale, on a galactic scale, uh, perhaps a binary system, mm. uh, but also on a more uh, uh, personal level, you also have these generational cycles, for example. Uh, you, you have perhaps a 20-year-long uh, golden age and uh, then uh, start building up towards uh, a sort of crisis. And plus, when the weather is good, uh, people tend to become more active and they start building cathedrals and all this stuff. Right. Uh, so warmer weather is also correlated, I think, with uh, with uh, this this idea of a golden age. Right. No, absolutely. Um, so, um, but uh, regarding this increased violence, uh, there's something strange that happened uh, in the Bronze Age, it seems, which you'll see on the next slide. Okey-dokey. Yeah, so around 1500 BC, you suddenly start seeing a large increase uh, of violence. Um, That's the thesis of uh, Graham Phillips' book, uh, End of Eden. And he put the pieces together and he found that around this date, uh, all these things happened all over the world. So um, things were relatively uh, peaceful um, in uh, megalithic Europe, for example. Um, in Western Europe, you had this megalithic civilization, mm-hmm. which built all these large stone structures. And they were relatively peaceful. There's not really signs of large-scale warfare or people with horrible battle wounds and all that. Uh, plus, they built these henches like Avebury. And they weren't really built as fortifications because they have to ditch on the inside uh, whereas with a fortification would expect uh, it on the outside mm-hmm. as a protective barrier. Um, 
So, but then around 1500 BC, uh, you see it started being transformed into uh, this fortification. You see uh, people with horrible wounds. Um, it's not just there, but all over the world, uh, in America, Egypt, uh, China, Japan, uh, India gets invaded uh, by people who have horse chariots. Um, so what caused uh, all this uh, mindless violence? Mm -hmm. uh, was it caused by climate change? Um, Graham Phillips uh, thinks there was not really an indication that uh, climate was particularly bad. Um, so he had this uh, cold epoch, but that sort of started to end around 1500 BC. Um, so what else uh, could have caused this, uh, he asked. Yeah, there's an interesting dynamic too in human beings that we, um, you know, when, when something happens, like what's going on now or in the past with cataclysms, people tend to hoard resources and become mm -hmm. very, um, you know, kind of reverting back to more of our animalistic nature. Um, yeah. And when you look at the um, the history of stuff, that's not the only thing that causes it, too. I mean, right now we're experiencing what I would say, you know, there's a, a lot of people that don't believe in religions anymore, aren't spiritual, aren't connected to any sort of higher purpose or power. Um, you know, for, you know, we, we were losing our telos or our purpose. So I think that mm -hmm. even Socrates saw that back then. And I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. Uh, he envisioned that a world without any sort of connection or purpose or higher purpose yeah. would be a very dangerous situation in, in terms of there, you would lose moral order and you would start to lose um, that yeah, aspect yeah. of it, which people modern times would argue against that saying, oh no, it's just our evolutionary, you know, or the biology of us that's created that. But I, I, I think tend to disagree. I think that mm -hmm. we need some sort of, um, Efficient framework to work sure. off of framework, yeah, yeah a sort, sort of metaphysical, uh, spiritual framework uh, that gives meaning to our lives. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that that can be something really personal, of course. Uh, but it could yeah, also be something on a societal or, level, yeah. binding people together in ritual. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean like read the Bible yeah. or believe this religion, or you have to believe in the bearded Zeus-looking god or anything like that, but yeah. just some sort of higher purpose or higher calling, I think. Yeah, exactly. so um, I think there, there did happen something around the Bronze Age um, that uh, could have triggered this higher calling, but in a perhaps more uh, malevolent uh, way. Mm. Um, <laughs> so um, in the year 1486 uh, BC, uh, in the Chinese records, uh, it is described that there was this very uh, large and bright comet, and it had... Uh, Ten tails, hmm. and you see, and the uh, the sort of symbols there on the top. Right. Uh, that's from the uh, Chinese uh, silk almanac, and before that, they really weren't paying attention to comets. But then this giant uh, bright comet appeared, and uh, suddenly they did uh, start to pay attention. And they started uh, recording uh, all these uh, comets, and Carl Sagan, uh, he uh, identified this comet as 12P Pons Brooks. And it would have had the size of about four full moons in the sky. So uh, to took up a large portion of the sky. And so this uh, could have been seen as this god uh, descending from heaven. Uh, suddenly around that time, um, you see all this winged uh, disc symbolism appear with deities in it. Um, and this is also the time that monotheism uh, started to emerge. Yeah, Akhenaten and the Aten. Akhenaten, yeah. 
so the Aten may have been, uh, it, some people think it was the sun disk, but it may actually have been this uh, comet with all these rays yeah, that's uh, an coming out of it. Take. I've never actually thought like about that. that before, and I've looked heavily into it, but I've never actually, I, I've always, like you said, thought or associated him mm-hmm. with, you know, looking at the sun in that kind of a way. Yeah, yeah I never thought that that might be the case. I got to go back and look at some stuff. So that was definitely mm-hmm. also an eye-opener for me, uh, indeed. Suddenly you start seeing... Because there are rays that come off of it that do look like tails, too. And yeah, I, they I, don't... It could also be sun rays, too. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely yeah. think it, it, it warrants further looking into it. But uh, these rays, they don't uh, extend in all directions, but only uh, in in one uh, direction they spread out like a fan, just right. as they come at... And we know uh, that they paid attention to meteorites and stuff because... Uh, King Tut's daggers made out of mm. iron from a meteorite. Yeah. So, I mean, we know yeah. that they were looking for those things in the desert. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there was also this whole meteorite stone called uh, the Ben-Ben stone. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were also uh, kind of worshipping these things. Uh, so, um, yeah, you could ask the question, was uh, monotheism the cause for all this violence to erupt? Or was there something else? Was the, the sight of these giants coming enough to trigger all this uh, warfare? Yeah. So Graham Phillips thinks uh, that may have not been enough. So he wondered, was there perhaps some toxic uh, chemical in the comet still that uh, caused this violent behavior? Um, so he asked one of his NASA friends, and he says, uh, he said, yes, uh, well, actually, there is this chemical vasopressin, and it's found in some comets, and it can, uh, in some people, uh, cause uh, more aggressive behavior. Uh, so perhaps that was enough to uh, people who are already on the top of the dominance hierarchy or a bit more dominant than Did other they say people. that that could if if something was streaking across the sky if that could be if mm-hmm. that could be aerosolized into our atmosphere or so you're hinting at uh, coronavirus perhaps or no 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 what I'm saying is <laughs> okay if no so like you're saying this vasopressin could that have been yeah because could that have been you're saying if that was coming off of a comet I'm saying once it hit our atmosphere could that have been yeah you're saying you know you think it's the cause but could that have been aerosolized in the air um, yeah you know like you know because what mo- mostly comets are made up of what like ice and different yeah types yeah of but they minerals. also contain uh, yeah. They also contain all of these different chemicals. They have uh, a whole cocktail of chemicals in them, and these uh, are also what causes these multiple tails. Because mm. each tail is a different chemical that reacts differently uh, to the sun's heat. Okay. Uh, so they're sort of spread out. Um, so perhaps uh, yeah, this was the cause of this violence. But yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We don't really have... I, I never yeah. even really thought of that, I guess, but that makes sense. Um, now, in terms of you're saying, you know, this violence um, and you brought up monotheism. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So back then, obviously, it wasn't like today where you could have somebody that believes in something and not really impose their views on other people. Back mm-hmm. then, there would have been a lot of imposing on other people. You know, you have this profound, let's say it's Akhenaten or let's say it's, you know, one of these Egyptian pharaohs or kings or whatever. And they they have this epiphany or they have this you know realization and then they're trying to tell everybody about it and they're being very evangelical about it um that they're akhenaten has been kind of stripped from the record books you know a lot of his statues are yeah uh, the whole thing was reversed again uh yeah so they went back to the old god system they kind of 
resented him in that fact, and he moved mm-hmm. everything to Amarna, which is a different part where normally the pharaohs would be yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, I definitely think there might be something to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I wondered also um, in Scandinavia around this time, did something similar happen? Uh, so Scandinavia would have been in the Nordic Bronze Age, which is also a fascinating period, uh, about a thousand years before the Vikings. Um, but uh, near Scandinavia in northern Germany, I, I did find uh, this evidence of this large-scale warfare in northern Germany. Mm. And, and that was during the Bronze Age? Yeah, during the Bronze Age, yeah. Um, so on the next slide... Yeah, so um, around the uh, 1250 BC, so a few centuries later, you have the battle at the Tollens uh, River Valley. Um, and people first thought it was a graveyard, uh, but then they, they found out uh, that all these cantons had all these marks of violence, and it turned out to be uh, this massive battlefield, um, which uh, contained about uh, four to 5,000 warriors. Uh, some of them uh, sort of proto-knights on horseback. Um, researchers first thought that the Bronze Age in Northern Europe was quite peaceful and there was no large-scale warfare. But it turned out to be that this is not uh, the case. And uh, They did uh, also mention that in the few centuries before 1250 BC, you already start seeing this uh, military, military uh, class developing and things are getting more... Uh, military uh, like so uh, it could be that uh, that's to uh, that seems to be linked to this same date of 1500 PC because things start uh, changing from there mm. so was it uh, this chemical from this comet uh, we don't really know there there are no traces left uh, that would have been washed away long ago is there anybody um, else talking about that that hypothesis at all is there anybody else um, talking about um, that out there, like you said, you mentioned your is a friend at NASA. You said, yeah. Uh, so, so do they? Is has that been tossed around by them too, or are they just that's not their? They don't really care about like the ancient well, connection. Or? Outside of Graham Phillips, I haven't uh, uh, heard about it yet. So okay. uh, maybe when I dig further, I, I find some more mention of it. But that is really his uh, own uh, hypothesis. Uh, Okay. It's Graham Phillips' uh, theory okay. that he uh, came up with. Um, so, and in the year 2024 AD, uh, the same comet 12 people's Brooks will return again. So, if Graham Phillips is right, let's hope not. Uh, 2024 could become a very interesting year. And what? That's the return of that specific comet. Yeah, that comet that was also there in 1486 BC. Uh, is it going to be close, same... like uh, Neowise or Hale-Bopp, or is it going to be something a little bit more distant? Um, I'm not sure exactly how close, but it will come uh, close to the Earth uh, early in 2024. That was what the prediction said. So uh, we'll see uh, how that uh, develops. Okay. More interesting news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have, don't have enough to worry about already. <laughs> so, uh, Pile it on, baby. But uh, in the Book of Revelation that we have uh, mentioned uh, already, uh, we find this interesting passage that I think uh, kind of connects to this. Uh, so it says, The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. 
and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Mm. So what could be described here is a kind of poisonous uh, comet that uh, poisoned uh, the water. And it's called wormwood because that's this plant. Uh, it has this alkaline in oh, it. I've had it before. An absinthe. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Little absinthe. Oh, absinthe, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think <laughs> in Europe yeah. is the only place. I mean, you could probably get it where you are in the Netherlands. They, they keep things mm-hmm. uh, right. They don't alter things. But I know here in uh, America, absinthe is now a different. It's just a name of a, an alcohol that's like. Right. It doesn't have the actual wormwood in it or something. Yeah. But I've had uh-huh. the real Genuine the stuff. real deal with the wormwood. They call it like the green fairy or something and Yeah. It does yeah. it does it does it does turns you into it's a It's weird green because fairy. you don't think that alcohol could do something like that to you. It's more it's a little bit more mm-hmm. hallucinogenic than uh you would think. Yeah. So yeah, and the way this comet is described, uh, it's described in symbols of tr- angels with trumpets and torches. So um, when you look at uh, it from this angle, you start seeing these uh, symbols emerging and you can start to build up sort of uh, vocabulary of uh, comet symbolism so you know better what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what the ancients uh, did and creating poetry uh, out of uh, catastrophe. I mean, that, that passage absolutely has to be some sort of comet or asteroid. I mean, there's no way I yeah. don't think that you can look at that and... Well, think that's very uh, you know yeah it's it's quite unambiguous about it it says a great star fell from yeah. heaven blazing yeah. like a torch yeah. can't, can't get much more clear than that yeah. yeah so and in the Ragnarok myth we find something uh that's a little bit similar uh to this so every god at Ragnarok in this cosmic battle has its own big enemy and force ultimate nemesis uh, is the Midgard serpent. So, well, you know, Thor is the giant slayer with his hammer. Mm-hmm. And, well, he really wants to kill that snake. He wants that all his life. And now he gets the chance. Um, so the poem says, The bright snake gapes to heaven above. Against the serpent goes Odin's son. Of the nine steps, four will fall, struck down by the venom of the snake. Mm. So uh, here uh, we see... Uh, this this venomous snake, which is described as a bright uh, snake, so we know that snakes are one of the most uh, more known uh, symbols for comets and meteorites. Um, in, in the Maya, you have uh, Quetzalcoatl and Kukumat, the feathered serpent, who is also linked to uh, comets. Mm-hmm. So it could be that this bright snake too uh, is linked somehow uh, to a comet, and uh, it also describes uh, these poisonous qualities. Uh, again yeah this is an interesting take in in you think of obviously a comet's very if it were to impact would be very disastrous but you don't even think yeah. about this other element which is it could be containing materials that we're not aware of or that could have mm-hmm. an effect on us like you're mentioning yeah, that sure. could, you know so that is an interesting thought that i don't think most people think about when they think about this topic yeah i think a comet might not even have to impact to cause a lot of uh disturbance um, and even if it does it also creates all these secondary effects so in the dark ages you have mention of fire and brimstone um, and there too they seem to describe the air as being poisoned you have the yellow pestilence everywhere yeah, this yellow cloud clouds coming off it yeah 
So, uh, but speaking of serpents, there's also a constellation that we have seen in the previous episodes uh, that's also linked to serpents in myth. And that is Scorpio. Uh, Scorpio is, of course, uh, a scorpion. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's plenty of evidence that Scorpio is also linked to serpents. So we know that serpents are also a symbol for comets and meteors. And we have this constellation that is linked to uh, serpents in myth. Uh, the myth piece of these catastrophes. So if you put all of these things together, then perhaps uh, Scorpio is also linked to uh, comet phenomena. Mm. Yeah, you um, had, um, what was it, Ophiuchus with the spear mm-hmm. slaying the head yeah. of the, the uh, or hitting that point by Antares over there. So Yeah, so perhaps Ophiuchus is uh, seen as a god battling this demon of darkness uh, because, well, when the comet hits... Uh, you, the sun gets obscured and you get all this darkness. So you have this battle between the, the sun and between the force of light and dark. Mm-hmm. And that is all uh, proven by David Madison to be linked to the constellations. So I think uh, all of this catastrophe myth too can be linked to the constellations. And when you look at Scorpio, it has this bright red, orange uh, star and Terry's. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this fiery star and then you have all these uh, multiple rays coming out of it. Mm-hmm. which can be seen as multiple heads of the Hydra snake, sure. or perhaps the multiple tails of a comet. So, and I think there are some other constellations as well that can be linked to uh, comet phenomena. So I think that uh, these uh, memories of catastrophe were passed down in the form of star myths. Absolutely. So... Uh, what can we conclude thus far? So we have seen uh, these examples of toxic comets, which can be quite uh, lethal, as in the case of four, uh, for example. And four's battle with this bright snake is also linked to the end of the world. So it is also definitely linked to a great catastrophe. And in the end of Eden story, uh, you don't really have a world-ending event as much, but that did describe... Um, the more subtle ways in which uh, it can have an effect on uh, history. And, uh, it, it can change uh, the course, entire course of civilization while not necessarily uh, uh, destroying the entire surface of the Earth. So there are all these major and minor catastrophes. And I think these uh, are all uh, reflected in different uh, Norse myths. Mm-hmm. And not only uh, the catastrophe, uh, could be in there, but also simply the awe and beauty that these uh, bright comments would have uh, inspired. That too could be uh, explained and perhaps praised uh, in the myths. So we can ask ourselves, are the gods also comet gods? Yeah, I mean, so do you think that, that's what I was asking before, do you think that, uh, do you have any specific examples that you think might be, or is that something maybe we're going to get to here in a minute? Um, well, four uh, himself can be linked, uh, it seems, to, to meteorites and perhaps even comets. Uh, his hammer is called uh, Mjolnir, which means uh, grinder. Mm-hmm. And, well, you also have the idea of the cosmic mill or the cosmic grindstone, um, which eventually uh, sinks into the sea. Um, and in the Finnish Kalevala, for example, it's uh, called uh, the bright uh, lid. Uh, it's this bright uh, op- spinning object. So, uh, plus uh, the god of the sky, um, if he can roll uh, meteorites, he 
uh, sorry, if he can hurl lightning bolts, then he could also hurl these uh, meteorite stones. Sure. Uh, which you also find in Phoenician mythology uh, with uh, these uh, battle stones who are thrown down by the sky god, who's right. linked to the constellation Hercules as well. Yeah, and there are, I mean, there are myths. I mean, I know so, there's uh, from the Avestan, which is the, mm-hmm. um, you know, from, uh, yeah. uh, whatchamacallit, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Zoroastrianism. Yeah, Zoroastrianism. Yeah. So you have yeah. Yima in the Vara, yeah. and Yima was in, uh, instructed to build this Vara, which is yeah. some sort of, like, underground ark or cavern or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, supposedly it was, like, snowing where they were, and they're obviously that's an Iranian uh region yeah. myth so what was it doing snowing and being cold yeah. in in the desert yeah. you know so there Ten are a lot of winter yeah there's yeah. A, a lot of things that you can go to like whether it's the flood mythology or mm-hmm. catechism mythology there's a lot of it yeah. and it seems to be the more prevalent ones that have been preserved which obviously means that they're important yeah absolutely so yeah the younger drives would have been the most impactful uh, of course so uh well um, I think this will answer your question even more. Okay. Um, because here I have a uh, I have a list of suspects of suspected uh, comet symbolism, and here are four examples of that. Um, so in the top left, you have the fire demon Surt, mm-hmm. uh, who comes at Ragnarok with his flaming sword, and he splits the sky in two. And then this whole horde of uh, fire uh, demons comes uh, upon the, the world of the gods. Um, and we know from historical sources that comets were also described as flaming swords. So that could perhaps be another uh, link to comet symbolism. Um, in the top right, you have uh, Odin uh, with his golden spear Gungnir. So perhaps uh, his golden spear too uh, is a symbol for uh, a comet. Uh, Randall Carlson seems to think that the spear is one of the four uh, it's one of the four uh, grail symbols, and the grail symbols are likely also linked to uh, cosmic impacts uh, during the Dark Ages mm. in uh, Britain. And in the bottom left, we have the golden necklace of the goddess Freya. And there is a Norse myth uh, in which uh, Freya is uh, angered, and then her golden necklace uh, falls from her, and then the mansions of the gods uh, tremble. So perhaps that too describes something golden falling out of the sky, causing uh, earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And in the bottom right, we have a more subtle uh, symbol in the hair, golden hair of the goddess Sif. I think a lot of characters in myth with golden or red hair, uh, or even hair with snakes, can be linked uh, to comets as well. Uh, the word comet itself means long hairs. It's come from Greek, ancient Greek, komai. Uh, Mm-hmm. which means letting the hair grow long. And in the myth, uh, Sif's hair gets cut off by Loki, and then the dwarves have to forge new hair out of gold uh, for her. And we know that comets too uh, can uh, grow these tails and then lose them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so perhaps it could be linked to that as as well as uh, several other uh, phenomena. Yeah, so and everybody that doesn't know the the tails of the comet is the debris burning up or being shed behind it, causing this. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing the, the remnants of that. Um, when you look at this, though, um, do you so do you think that these are so like the necklace falling off of Freya, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the, the correlation with the red hair? Well, obviously, we know people 
uh, indigenous to the regions of you know the Scandinavia. There's red mm-hmm. hairs prevalent. Red hairs prevalent, prevalent yeah. in Greece and stuff too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you, so when you look at that, I mean, I guess I could see that, but I think that um, when you look at the, you know these things, we still do it to this day, right? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard this, but like. I mean, as a kid, I would see stuff on TV or you have an ant or something and when it's thundering out, you say, oh, God's bowling right now or yeah, yeah. something like that. So, I mean, do you think that this is like an ancient version of that or do you think that we inherited the, um, that, I guess, I don't even know how you, that we've, inter- we've over time, we've kind of lost our touch with these myth-making abilities, but that we still try and do it here and there, but it's not as serious as it used to be or something like that? Yeah, I think uh, for the ancients, uh, the world was more filled with meaning, and I think they they had a better idea of how all the things were connected to each other. They they were thinking more in in terms of symbols Mm -hmm. uh, and and how things are alike. Uh, So a snake, for example, is similar to a rope uh, or or, uh, sound waves. Uh, energy uh, so they were thinking on this symbolic uh, level um, so things that look alike um, they are connected together and seen as uh, similar things mm. uh, and you could say that form uh, is related to function right. so when you look at it uh, from a science point of view you do actually see that uh, the form the shape of something does determine its function as well so um, that's how you can all connect all these things that uh, have similar characteristics and um, that you can see um, how things are connected and all these uh, hidden f- uh, forces uh, that are at work uh, that uh, determine our reality. Mm. Okay, so uh, now we're getting to the end of the Ragnarok myth. Uh, and we will see uh, how the world uh, eventually ends. So the poem says, The sun turns black, earth sinks into the sea, the hot stars are rolled down from heaven. Fierce grows the steam and the life-feeding flame, till fire leaps high about heaven itself. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it describes all of the darkness, flood. Uh, It says unambiguously, uh, stars uh, rolling down from heaven. So it's again pretty clear. Um, so I think they they are sometimes uh, deliberately uh, clear, uh, but also at the same time uh, speaking uh, in symbols uh, to uh, to create uh, poetry out of these uh, events. Um, yeah. Do you? So, uh, I wonder. Do you think they've ever looked into like a simulation of what the sun would look like? post one of these cataclysms when there's debris and mm. dust in the air do you think i mean I, I'm, I'm just trying to picture do you think it would be like the sun trying to peek through the clouds like how you know or like a dense overcast or do you think that it would be black or it would be like almost night looking outside during the day i think that would really depend on uh how thick this dust cloud uh, is if it's um uh, thin enough, you could still see a faint uh, sun. It may have this bluish tint, right? Uh, or if there's, there's this really fine dust, you may have actually a very a large, uh, deep red uh, sun. Mm-hmm. And perhaps uh, it has been speculated. I don't know if that's scientifically feasible that you can even see uh, some coronal activity or uh, sun flares with the naked eye. I don't know if that's possible, but you could see uh, the sun in a really different way and. 
Well, if the dust cloud is thick enough, then I think don't think you will be able to see uh, much. Right. It could uh, it could be like night uh, during the day. Right. Well, that's why I was just curious because of the yeah. the top part of the the poem there. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the poem in Voluspa also describes how the world uh, becomes new again because we want, of course, a happy end to the story. Sure. So, uh, now do I see the earth anew, rise all green from the waves again, waterfalls flow and the eagle flies, and fish she catches beneath the cliffs. In wondrous beauty once again shall the golden game pieces be found in the grass, which the gods had owned in the days of old. So, uh, the god, some of the gods have survived Ragnarok, and uh, they sit in the grass, which is all green again, and they find these golden chess pieces, and then they put them uh, back on the board, and then this whole cosmic game between the orders of uh, the force of order and chaos it starts again. So mm-hmm. the cycle is uh, repeated, and there's a new golden age. Do you think that? The, the, and again, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but like almost like simulation theory, like even back mm-hmm. then, whether it be you know Clash of the Titans or this or whatever, there's this idea that there are people up in the clouds and back then that's mm-hmm. what it would have been because we didn't really know about space travel and, and that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. there's these gods or these uh ultimate beings sitting up in the cloud play, playing yeah. us like we're a chess game or like we're on a chess board uh and if you look at simulation theory that's kind of somebody would be creating us or the way that we play video games and create avatars and worlds within you know that kind of a thing so i do think about that sometimes yeah i'm i don't really uh yeah, I've heard the uh, simulation theory uh, mentioned. Uh, well, well um, I think the world that we live in uh, could uh, mimic a simulation um, because uh, maybe it would need the same principles to function as, uh, in a way, uh, computer programs might do uh, in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I really don't really know about that. I don't really uh, think... Um, that we should take the idea of these uh, beings controlling us uh, that literally, although I don't know you, uh, perhaps there is this giant brain floating out there that knows everything or... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily We don't really mean, know. Yeah, yeah, I don't mean necessarily take it literally, but other than the fact mm-hmm. that we, we... The simulation theory is a real theory that some of the most yeah. intelligent people that we have in our society today takes Elon Musk and Nick Bostrom and all these mm-hmm. theoretical physicists and yeah. stuff that the probability of that existing is very high. Um, now, does that, you know, you could make the argument for a simulation, like you said, to exist, it would have to be a simulation of something else. So almost like you would look at like Plato's theory of forms where we mm-hmm. have this reality, but this reality is actually taken, um, the, the forms and the this what we experience is taken from a different yeah. realm or is is copied from a different realm so well it does seem that there are these different uh, dimensions to existence uh, that we are not really aware of we are really tuned into only uh, this one channel with our brain that right. we uh, tune into and yeah basically all worlds that we experience is a kind of simulation uh, created by our brain as well of course right um, yeah, and I'm not. So, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily believe the simulation theory, but I do think it is mm-hmm. interesting. I definitely think about it a lot because there's yeah. a lot of things that could be correlated to that, especially from the, yeah. the ancient world. Maybe it's a little bit uh, more crude the way they explained mm-hmm. it, but it's. That, but I think, yeah, 
these giant comets too, uh, you could also see them as these beings controlling our uh, lives. Yeah. Because they determine our destiny. Uh, will we survive or not? It depends on uh, whether a giant comet uh, will hit us uh, that's large enough. Right. Uh, so they controlled the fate of the dinosaurs, then the mammals took over, and now here we are. Mm-hmm. So um, I think those can be seen as kind of controllers as well. Though maybe they're not uh, aware of it themselves. Right. So, um, okay, let's get back to the poem. In the final stanza, the seer says to Odin, From below the dragon dark comes forth, Nidhogg flying from Nidhavil, The corpses of men on his wings he bears, The serpent's bright, but now I must retire. So we see that uh, everything is great again, but uh, this, this, this serpent... Uh, has survived as well, uh, Nidhogg. So there will always be this lurking threat. Uh, we we have survived several catastrophes as human species, but we know that there are still some pretty big uh, chunks of rock uh, out there. And we know that uh, there will come a time when uh, this threat uh, returns. So it will be about uh, 1,000 years before the Earth again uh, passes the denser parts of the Taurus meteor stream. Mm. So uh, somewhere around the year 3000, uh, we should get again the, the worst of it. So we well, have quite some we're time. Off, hopefully we figure Another things something out. something to look forward to, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Hopefully we but figure we, things uh, out so at least we can get off this rock if we need to. <laughs> yeah. Well, something about that the world would end in 2012. Uh, Graham Hancock thinks perhaps 2040, but uh, I think this is uh, quite an optimistic scenario. Uh, we have yeah. perhaps another 1,000 years to uh, figure things out mm-hmm. uh, if we don't destroy ourselves, of course. So uh, perhaps we will be able to prevent it, unlike uh, Odin. He, uh, he tried to do uh, everything he could to prevent it, but he failed. But perhaps we, uh, as human beings, will have the power to uh, take destiny into our own hands and uh, perhaps uh, avert this uh, cosmic threat. Yeah, I know that they work on things like, I mean, well, it's, it would be an asteroid, but like a, creating like a light sail and beaming light mm-hmm. at it and pushing it off its course that yeah. way. I mean, the the blowing it up thing always terrifies me because it's like, well, what if that creates <laughs> more yeah. of a... Uh, yeah. an issue but yeah I mean I, I definitely think yeah. they are working on things to figure it out yeah perhaps blowing it up would create a thousand Tunguska events simultaneously right. over the planet that would be uh, perhaps even worse than a single large impact right yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah the, the quest uh, continues so um, you guys have any more uh, questions or uh, so I guess my question would be, um, what do you take away from this in terms of, like, does this give you any sort of insight into the way you live your own life? Or is this something that you just find interesting that you think that we should be preserving these myths and maybe the allegory or the, the message behind them? Or how do you, how do you look at these things and be, aside from just doing the research and being interested in it? Yeah. Yeah, so of course, it is, of course, intellectually uh, very uh, interesting to be researching this, but uh, the myths, uh, the, this poetry, uh, every time you read it, it just uh, speaks to you. Uh, there's this powerful symbolism. Uh, it speaks on so many different levels, and I think also the uh, idea of this cosmic cycles is actually a very optimistic idea. 
because um, you, when you look at uh, where you think that there will be this this giant apocalypse, and then after that there is nothing else. Um, I think that's not really a good way uh, to look at things. I think uh, it's a very hopeful message that uh, no matter how bad things get, even on a personal level, um, if you get through it, uh, th there will always be a new uh, golden age. Uh, so mm -hmm. th th I think the, the Ragnarok, uh, the, uh, this myth, um, it works on many different levels. You have all these cycles within cycles. Um, so you also have generational cycles. So every 80 years or so, there is a major crisis. So it's now 80 years since uh, World War II. Mm. Um, but Ragnarok, the myth uh, tells us that uh, well, there will there will be a new world after that. It's it's not a definite end. Uh, so there is all, uh, no matter how dark things get, uh, no matter how chaotic uh, things become in your life. Um, Ultimately, uh, the, uh, the cycle will repeat, and uh, there will be a new uh, order. So, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it, it also makes sure that life is uh, never uh, boring because uh, it's oh, always yeah. in uh, motion. You always have this uh, duality, either working together or working uh, against uh, itself. Yeah, I had this weird dream recently where um, I created this robot. And the robot eventually mm. um, saved us in the sense that we all got wiped out by one of these events. Mm. And it's almost like, you know, the the Doomsday's, Doomsday Seed Vault or whatever. I forget what country it's in. But yeah. There's a, a vault where they keep all the different, you know, it's almost like a Noah's Ark, but for plants kind of a thing. Yeah, in uh, Norway, I think, uh, Svalbard. Yeah. And uh, yeah, somewhere north. So it would be something like that where maybe there would be genetics stored or human genetics mm -hmm. and these robots just re restart life kind of a thing. So that was kind of a weird yeah. dream and actually kind of played <laughs> into this whole topic. But uh, yeah. do you think that when you do this research that um, – how do you keep it so – and I, I find this hard for myself and this is why I'm asking mm – -hmm to yeah. just jump the gun and go to the next and, and just make the correlation without actually putting it through scrutiny. Because I think that there are a lot of researchers that I've seen mm -hmm. where the most obvious yeah. thing they take and they run with it, but they don't actually mm -hmm. put it through the yeah. scrutiny and, and kind of match it yeah. up against other things. So, yeah, I think time is an important factor in that. I mean, uh, when you get a new ID, you can get really excited about it and think, oh, well, uh, now I see... Uh, 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 what the myths are really about, um, but uh, well, uh, at least uh, in my experience, when I whenever I, I have that idea, uh, doubt really starts to creep in real fast. So I I don't stick to that one idea and just keep going with it. Um, I will have major doubts uh, and think, uh, have I been crazy all this time? Uh, have I been chasing something that isn't there? Uh, and then. Well, that prompts me to research it further. Mm. And well, I think time is a big factor. Uh, uh, I've been uh, looking at the comet angle uh, for quite a while now. And uh, well, if uh, you just have to put in a lot of research, uh, compare all these different myths, uh, explore it from all these different angles. And then, um, well, you start building this this vocabulary. And you, you some pieces of evidence are stronger than other, and you can. Uh, when you collect those, you have sort of anchor points also uh, to uh, hold on to. 
-hmm. So Martin Schwebman said it really well also. Um, when you look at the myths, you can see anything in it you like. You can go any way with it. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you start from the myths themselves, um, well, you can go in any direction. So uh, his research is really rooted in science. Um, so he learned of this uh, relationship between uh, uh, the gods and uh, comets and all that by looking at uh, Gobekli Tepe and figured out that what it seems to be is a memory of the Younger Dryas impact event. Mm -hmm. And it's linked to all these uh, constellations. And Dave, uh, Dave Matheson in turn has uh, figured out that all of these constellations are also linked to uh, the myths right. and the gods. So um, David Matheson thinks, uh, yeah, the gods are uh, linked to constellations. Uh, Martin Sutman thinks the gods are comet gods. Right. So um, I think it also really helps to to look at the work of other researchers as well. Um, well, if there is even uh, good science behind it. Uh, or statistical sciences in the case of Martin Strutman. Well, yeah, he's a uh, he's a scientist yeah. outside of that discipline, but he, I believe, he correlated with somebody that helped him with the archaeoastronomy research aspect mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah, you make a good point. I think you need to cross-reference things and look. I mean, when we go through these slides and we did the first episode with you and we did the one with David Matheson, I think that there's mm -hmm. a lot of cool stuff that actually makes a lot of sense that I'm gonna look yeah. look into more. And there's things that I disagree with too. Um, mm -hmm. one being the ancient handbag thing. And one of my critiques okay. would be the ancient handbag is also found on uh, pillar 43, the vulture stone. Yeah. And there's yeah. three of them. So yeah. there, that would That's mean right. that there'd have to be three handbag constellations for that to be true. Yeah. Well, in fact, there are. <laughs> oh, there are? Uh, I've looked at, yeah, there are. Uh, Ophiuchus is one, uh, but there's also near Ophiuchus, there's Libra, which also looks like a handbag. Okay. Um, I forget which the third one is. Um, uh, yeah. See, um, I mean, I, 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 I try I not to... Aquarius is carrying this back. I don't know if that's... I, I try not to take things literally, yeah. but I, I do mm -hmm. want to point out that I do think... I mean, Graham Hancock points this out. I do think that there's some sort of entheogenic connection there to that, oh, yes, to, yes. To that bag. And when I say that, huh? I'm not saying that they were necessarily carrying entheogens in that bag, but recently they found... A fox snout pouch in South America that dates back, you know, I, th I think mm -hmm. a thousand years. Yeah. And um, you can just imagine that at the beginning of civilization, how were they cultivating the land and mm -hmm. with seeds and yeah. uh, different things like that. So I think about it from that point. And I'm not saying, again, well, that, that David Matt's wrong or you're wrong or that the ancient handbag sky correlation is wrong. But I do question certain aspects of certain things. Because sure, I, that's I think, uh, I, yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But I do think uh, that probably they did actually have handbags. Oh, so, that too. Um, I mean, we have handbags yeah, to yeah, this yeah. day. You know, it's ancient uh, um, Gucci purse or whatever. Because I think a lot of the ancient ritual that you found find in religion um, or in this ancient astronomical shamanic tradition, I think, is based on the constellation. So they, um, it was a way of well. You could say mimicking uh, the constellations that were at that point at the important parts uh, on the sky, and put that into the rituals. Uh, so they create. Uh, you can create myths out of the stars. Uh, you can create ritual based on the myths or directly uh, based on the constellations. Mm. I think in Christianity, even you find all these uh, correlations with uh, constellations. Yeah, I think uh -huh. that that was the only one though that like from doing this with you and and David that mm -hmm. um that I looked at where I thought, "Yeah, I'm I'm not so convinced on that one, but the other ones are very convincing and they do yeah. 
um, bring up, you know, you, you know, he had a, a nice slideshow presentation too. So I think that we were able to go through and look at uh, more of the correlation between the myths, but mm-hmm. you know, and you do it, you were, you're specifically looking at one of these cultures while maybe sprinkling yeah. in some correlations between other ones. So I do think um, it's fascinating that, you can look at these things from different points of view and still get a similar result, which means that there is obviously some truth to it. So, yeah, I think the myths uh, contain many things, and these are all uh, interconnected. But uh, I think, yeah, this astronomical framework is sort of the uh, basis to which all of this is connected. You could see it as a giant memory system. I think uh, the uh, the stars uh, as the index of a a uh, system of memory which holds this whole repository of uh, knowledge. So they had this oral tradition. Uh, they did not write things down in really ancient history. So mm-hmm. I think they used the stars as a sort of tool uh, to remember all of these uh, things. And um, well, I think there's more to star maps than based just remembering things. Right. But that's one way how you could uh, view it. Uh, so uh, you. Uh, you could say that uh, the stars are the highest order of existence because it's high up in the sky. Uh, that's the world of the gods, uh, the divine. So that's where all uh, other things get uh, linked uh, to because mm. um, this high order does have a profound influence on life on Earth um, because it's uh, it's also the realm, of course, where these giant comets uh, come from. Right. Uh, so what happens in the skies is of major importance to uh what happens on earth and there's the the uh well the known saying uh as above so below right oh yeah absolutely but no i and i really appreciate your research i really appreciate Mm -hmm. uh you know what you're doing and i appreciate david's research as well and i think that um it's a different way to look at things because while when i research things i try and find correlations in this reality Mm -hmm. whether it be um you know, similar to what you're doing with the mythology, but more associated with entheogenic things or, mm-hmm. you know, the way the mind works and things like that. Yeah. I do think um, that it's important to get all these different views out there so that we can yeah, kind sure. of see what's what. And I think that um, I, I would say that this is uh, a little bit more legitimate than um, some other things in the sense that obviously mm-hmm. you've put in the time and uh, yeah. made the correlations, but just knowing the ancient people, knowing that they looked at the sky every night. Um, and what's your, so David mentioned that he thought that uh, this was a little bit more esoteric in, in ancient times, meaning that not everybody mm-hmm. had these knowledge, even though maybe everybody looked up at the stars, that not everybody yeah. was aware of these things. Do you have that same sentiment or do you? Yeah, I think there was this uh, sort of priestly elite who had this uh, very advanced uh, scientific, knowledge even about astronomy you, you see this uh, um, symbolism of the movements of the sun in respect to the constellations of the zodiac uh, symbolism uh, also in procession uh, numbers so they they knew about the uh, procession of the equinox so i think that there was uh, this uh, elite class that had this uh, special knowledge um, but i also think ordinary people would also probably had uh, some affinity with uh, stars. And, well, uh, I would guess that they too uh, could have recognized uh, constellations. Um, so a farmer who is plowing his field, for example, uh, um, when it's uh, d- dark and starry night, uh, that farmer too would have seen the same stars over and over again and developing sort of spiritual connection to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, uh, yeah. 
even uh, seeing uh, the the myths uh, reflected uh, in it. Sure. Do you have any questions, Maurice, before we wrap it up? No, I enjoyed the episode. I learned a lot, and there's some good tidbits to do some more investigation on. A lot of rabbit holes to uh, go down. Oh, yeah. Maurice loves a good rabbit hole. (laughs) <laughs> hey, there you go. Um, so yeah, so what I'll do is too is I'll add the link to the first episode down below the video after we're done, and also add the link to mm-hmm. David's episode because I think these obviously go hand in hand in terms of what you guys yeah, are both absolutely. trying to yeah. accomplish and put out there. Um, and so go to uh, Arthur's website, secretsofthenorse.com, and uh, he's also on Twitter at at North Secrets, and he's on Instagram and he's on Facebook as well. Uh, and for, you, do, you don't have a Patreon, but you do have something on your website where people can buy you a coffee. I bought him a coffee last time. Go check yeah. it, you know, help this man do his research, get him his caffeine and get him that work <laughs> juice, baby. Yeah. And, uh, also you can check us out at mindescapepodcast.com. Please subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on an audio platform, please subscribe and leave us a nice review. Um, and also if you are interested, we have a Patreon account where we have exclusive content for $2 a month. Uh, you can get that at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate this Arthur and, uh, shout out to David Matheson, shout out to brothers of serpent, shout out to, uh, Randall Carlson, Graham Hancock, all the people doing all the research with this kind of stuff. And, um, we really appreciate your time and sharing us, you know, sharing with us your uh, research and we'll have you on again in the future. I don't know what the topic, you know, will be, but uh, I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. Oh yeah. There's also always a lot more uh, to, uh, to talk about. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll do a part Beautiful. three sometime in the future and I look forward to that and uh, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. And uh, everybody stay safe out there and uh, we have love a good it. weekend. We love everybody and be safe. Peace. Bye.